Chapter 2 of The Amethyst Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 2. The Unexpected Happens. To say that Lesbia was amazed conveys imperfectly her state of mind. The sudden arrival of her father, the hasty departure of her lover, the mysterious incident connected with the Amethyst Cross, and the still more mysterious remark which Mr. Hale had made, these things perplexed and, very naturally, alarmed her. At once, with the swiftness of an imaginative brain, she conjured up visions of disgrace and shame and criminal publicity, going too far in her surmises, after the fashion of such a brain. For after all, as a calmer reflection suggested, there was nothing in what had taken place that should induce such happenings, although there were several disquieting hints. For a few moments the girl remained where she was, too agitated to move, but when Hale disappeared into the cottage and George's boat vanished round a bend of the shining river, she woke to the fact that for her own peace of mind it was necessary to ask questions. At once she ran up the grass-grown path, and speedily found herself in the narrow passage, which led right through the house from back to front. But she only entered to hear the street-door bang, and flew to open it again, in the hope of catching Mr. Hale, before he could go far away. But the man must have made good use of his legs, for when she peered out into the quiet side street she noticed that it was empty. The vanishing of her father without an explanation dismayed her more than ever, and in the hope of gaining some sort of information she sought Tim in the tiny kitchen, calling him loudly. A soft voice like a well-tuned lute answered her from the scullery. "'Ah, Miss Lesbia, and would you be after swelling your pretty voice for now? Don't you, my darling, don't you?' "'Why's my father gone out, Tim?' asked Lesbia sharply. An odd little man emerged from the scullery and stood coolly rubbing his nose-tip with the toe of the boot he was polishing. "'And how should I know, Miss? Didn't he come tearing through the passage as if the devil were after him, and lay but like a trout in the street? Surely he must have seen the master and page in yourself.' "'I know that father came and found me with George, and—' "'And then is George, is it?' muttered Tim, beginning to brush mechanically. "'And rushed away in a temper because George would not give him my amethyst cross.' Crash went the boot on the floor, and the blacking brush followed, while Tim stared out of his melancholy gray eyes as though he saw a ghost. Decidedly, the ornament was causing a considerable sensation, although Lesbia could not understand why her father should rage, any more than why Tim should stare. "'Like a stuck pig,' she said inelegantly, and the annoying thing was that he did more than stare.' "'Oh, blessed saints in glory!' groaned the Irishman, crossing himself. "'What on earth do you mean?' asked the girl, tartly, for she was beginning to weary of these mysteries. "'Oh, blessed saints in glory!' Tim moaned again, and, picking up the boot and the brush with the expression of a martyr, went into the scullery to peel potatoes. Lesbia, who was a determined young woman, followed, quite bent upon getting at the root of the disturbance. "'Come and talk, Tim.' "'Sure, and I must get dinner ready anyhow, miss.' "'Come out, or I'll come in,' cried Lesbia, standing at the door." "'Sure you didn't want to dirty your clothes, do you?' coaxed Tim, and very unwillingly scrambled back into the cleaner, drier kitchen with the tin basin of potatoes in his huge fist. He was certainly an ugly, undersized man, and looked like the wicked dwarf of a fairy tale. But the similarity was all on the surface, for Tim Burke was as good and devoted a little Patty as ever dipped his fingers in her holy water. But his appearance was not prepossessing, for he was broader than he was long, and on a pair of hunched shoulders was set askew a gigantic head much large for his squat body. His short legs were crooked, and he usually walked in a crab-like fashion in unexpected directions, that is, whether his brain did not direct his legs to go. He was barely five feet high, and his shaggy beard was as red as the untidy hair covering his pole. He was quite a monstrosity. Nevertheless, Tim had his good points, for nature had given him beautiful gray eyes, pathetic as those of a dog, and a sweet sympathetic voice, which sounded like a mellow bell. To hear Tim sing Irish ditties of the heartbreaking sort was a treat not to be met with every day, but he rarely sang them, save to Lesbia, whom he adored. And small wonder, for she alone was kind to the odd, uncouth little man. 
Mr. Hale, whose selfishness was phenomenal, treated Tim like a white slave, and, indeed, he might be called one, seeing that he worked like a horse and received no wages. Yet he was an admirable housekeeper and a magnificent cook. With such qualifications, he could have procured a well-paid situation. Yet, for Lesbia's sake, he remained at Rose Cottage, watching her like a cat, a mouse, but with more amiable intentions. She was the legacy which his mother, Bridget, the girl's nurse, had left him on her deathbed, when she died some twelve months before. Lesbia, looking like a fairy princess attended by her dwarf, perched herself on the kitchen table with a severe face. To lose no time while being questioned, Tim set to work peeling the potatoes, for Mr. Hale growled like a bear when his meals were not placed punctually on the table. As he peeled each potato, he dropped it with a splash into a bucket of clean water, and rarely raised his sad eyes to the face of his young mistress during the conversation which ensued. Also, and this Lesbia noticed, he conversed very reluctantly, and every admission was wrung from unwilling lips. Tim, says mistress severely, and beginning at the beginning, you are the only son of my nurse, Bridget Burke. I am that, miss, her only boy, miss, and a good mother she was to me. A good nurse also, Tim. She loved me. And who wouldn't you, pretty creature? Ain't I devoted to you likewise, me darling? Answer me that now. I shall do so, said Miss Hale significantly, when our conversation comes to an end. Tim groaned and winced. Bad luck to the cross, he breathed, and may the virgin forgive me for saying that same. Why bad luck to the cross, demanded Lesbia, coming to the point. And how should I know, my dear? But you do know, she insisted. Tim, your mother gave me that cross. Did she now, the old fool? How dare you, Tim, and Bridget dead? She was your mother. Deed and well she might be, miss, for an ugly old woman never could be found in County Clare, whereby she left it for this blessed country when I wore a guzzum. Did my father bring her over from Ireland, Tim? Not he, Tim shook his Judas-colored head. Devil and I did a parish clap on the gentleman for a very long day. Wasn't I a barefooted brat running where at the white chapel till my father, rest his soul, was took by the police for shoplifting. Bad luck to him. And he died in Gowl, poor man. Ah, oh, that he did, leaving my mother and me without bread and the mouse on us. What did Bridget do then, Tim? Sure she come to Wimbledon on a place hard by, admitted Tim reluctantly, selling apples and nuts, and a mighty bad thing she made by the sale. I want to know exactly how she came to be my nurse, said Lesbia. Tim bent over the potatoes, deeply interested in the peeling. Why, miss, your father, here he swallowed something, the master, miss, and a kind good gentleman, took pity on her and gave her the situation as your nurse, my dear. But my mother? Oh, howly saints, and how could she say anything when she was dying and you were but a year old? Why, my mother nursed you like her own child, miss, till you went to that school at Hampstead. But you came back here just when she was dying, poor soul. I did, a year ago, said Lesbia significantly, and in time to receive the cross, Tim. May the father who lies fly away with it, groaned the dwarf, and may the saints forgive me for the wicked wish. Whatever do you mean, Tim? Mayna, never ask me what I mean, but the cross isn't with me now, and I guess you'll be better without it. Oh, Lesbia slipped off the table with a heightened color. Does that mean it is unlucky? I, I gave it to George, you see, and, ah, devil doubt what he'd give the head to George, grumbled Tim, taking a tin of peeled potatoes. Ah, well, it's better he have it than you, my dear. But why, but why, said Lesbia, frantic with curiosity. Ah, never ask me, miss, replied Tim enigmatically, and departed to continue his culinary work, also, as she could see, to avoid further questioning. Failing Tim, the girl resolved to learn what her father would say when at dinner. This was a meal which Mr. Hale never missed, as he was devoted to the pleasures of the table and appreciated Tom's excellent cooking. He always arrayed himself in purple and fine linen to do justice to the viands set before him, and it was the rule of the cottage that Lesbia should also dress appropriately. Her father prided himself upon being ultra-civilized, and would have eaten a red herring with sartorial ceremony. The table was admirably laid with crystal and silver and valuable china, and, decorated with flowers and graceful vases, looked extremely pretty. 
Tim, in a livery of his master's devising, acted as butler, and the wines were as good as the food, which is saying a lot. Mr. Hale might live in a humble cottage, and might mix with queer people, but he was a sabbatai, who enjoyed the good things of his life artistically prepared. The room was beautifully furnished, and Lesbia was more beautiful than the room. Therefore, on this especial night, Mr. Walter Hale had both his palate and his eye gratified. His ear was not ministered to quite so pleasantly as after dinner, and when Tim had left the room to prepare for the coffee, he renewed the subject of the cross with his daughter. "'Lesbia,' said he, fixing his eyes on her somewhat flushed face and looking extremely high-bred, "'why did you give away that cross?' "'Bridget, who presented it to me on her deathbed, said that I was to bestow it on the man I want to marry. I have done so.' This was a very defiant speech, and Hale frowned. "'I shall not allow you to marry young Walker,' he said distinctly. Lesbia shrugged her shoulders with indifference. This was not the way to manage her. "'I'm sorry, father, as I have decided to become his wife.' "'He has no money, you silly girl. I know for a fact that he is paid only a small salary by Michael Tate, who is a screw and a skinflint where his own pleasures are not concerned. Moreover, Walker has to support his widowed mother, and she is not likely to welcome a daughter-in-law who will curtail her comforts such as they are. A hard woman, Lesbia, a very hard woman, my dear. I don't know, as we have been acquainted for years.' The prospect did not seem alluring, but love sustained the girl. "'George might get a better situation,' she ventured to remark, a trifle anxiously. "'Why,' she added, as though this had thought had just struck her, "'he might help you, father.' Hale split the, the port, the wine he was pouring into the glass. "'What's that?' "'You need not speak crossly, father,' replied Lesbia, puzzled by the sharpness of his tone. "'I merely suggested that George might enter your office, and then he—' The man rose suddenly and began to pace through him with the glass of wine in his hand. But the look he cast upon his daring child was so grim— that the unfinished sentence died on her lips. "'George might enter your office,' he repealed slowly, and entered with a cynical laugh. "'Huh! I wonder now.' He laughed again and checked his speech. Then he finished his glass of wine and returned to the table. "'When does Walker come to see you again?' he asked abruptly. "'Tomorrow night at six o'clock,' said Lesbia promptly. "'He rows down the, winter, the river from Medmenham, or walks along the towing path every evening.' "'A devoted lover truly,' said Hale dryly. "'And how long has this pretty wooing been going on?' "'For a few months,' said Lesbia, rather alarmed by the stern expression on her father's face. "'Don't be angry. After all, it was you who introduced me to George. "'The more fool I, seeing his age and looks in poverty. "'Lesbia!' he placed his knuckles on the table and leaned across it. "'You must marry my friend Captain Sergeant.' "'Ex-Captain Sergeant!' cried Lesbia scornfully, and rising unexpectedly. "'I shall do nothing of the sort. I don't even like him.' "'Poo, poo! He's a gentleman. So is George!' Hale rapped at the table sharply. "'Do not interrupt, you minx. Sergeant has retired from the army, it is true.' but he has a good income and a pretty bungalow at Cookham. We were in the same regiment until I left the service some fifteen years ago, so I know him well. He will make an excellent husband, a very excellent husband indeed. But, Father, he is nearly as old as you are. What of that? Sergeant is a handsome man and looks young. Lesbia bit her lip and tapped her foot on the ground. I shan't marry him. Hale scowled. You shall. I am your father, and you shall do as you are told, my dear. And if you don't marry Sergeant, you shall certainly not marry Walker, unless— He stopped suddenly— "'Unless what?' "'Unless you get that cross back from him,' stormed Hale angrily. Lesbia was nothing if not direct, and the mystery of the cross piqued her exceedingly. She ventured on a leading question. "'Why do you want that cross so much, father?' "'It belonged to your poor mother,' said Mr. Hale sentimentally, "'and means more to me than you can ever guess. "'I missed it from your mother's jewel case when she died, "'but I never expected that Bridget Burke, "'who was supposed to be the soul of honesty, had stolen it.' "'No! No! I believe Bridget wouldn't have stolen anything.' "'Bridget would have done anything that suited her,' retorted Hale grimly, and if she came by the cross honestly, say by your mother giving it to her, why does she not let you show it to me? I can't guess. Perhaps she thought you would take it from me. I might, and I might not, replied Hale hesitatingly. 
but at all events I shall not have allowed you to give it to young Walker. You must ask him to return at once. I shall not, said Lesbia determinately. You shall, cried Hale, and their eyes met like those of two duelists crossing swords. But as the father's eyes fell first, you dare to defy me. Not exactly, but I want no explanations, thank you, but I'll make a bargain with you. If Walker returns that cross, he can have you as his wife. If not, I shall refuse to allow him to haunt the cottage or pay attentions to you. And remember, Lesbia, that I hold the purse strings. George can keep me, panted Lesbia, her color rising. George has to keep his mother. Marry him without a dowry and see what the Honorable Miss Aylmer Walker will say. You cannot give me a fortune, father. I can give you two thousand a year if you are obedient, said her father coolly and walked towards the door. Think it over, Lesbia. He left her to meditate on the astounding news. Lesbia was naturally astonished, since she had never dreamt her father was so wealthy. Everything in the cottage was good of its kind, and even luxurious, and the living was excellent. But at times Hale appeared to lack ready money, and frequently impressed upon Tin that it was necessary to be economical. Why, then, should he act in this way when he appeared to be rich, and why should he offer so large an income on condition that the cross was returned? So far as Lesbia understood her father's hard nature, he was not a man to pay generously for a merely sentimental idea. However, the fact remained that if she could get the amethyst cross returned, she could marry George and bring him a substantial dowry. After much reflection, she had determined to ask George for the, or for the ornament. After all, she could easily give him something else, and it was worth satisfying her father when so much was at stake. For half a moment, Lesbia thought that she would put on her cloak and hat and walk along the towing path to Medmenham on the hope of meeting her lover. It was now half-past eight, as dinner had taken place at seven. Mr. Hale had gone out, and Tim, as was his custom on fine evenings, was paddling about in a boat on the river, sometimes rowing and sometimes fishing. She was alone, and the solitude was becoming irksome. A great wave of desire for love and sympathy came over the girl, and she longed to see George Walker immediately, not only to tell him of her father's offer, but to be petted and kissed and comforted. But a few minutes' reflection showed her that it was not advisable that she should walk alone to Medmenham, especially as the chances were that she might not meet her lover. It was true that he would certainly be at home, but Lesbia did not know Miss Walker, and, from the description given by her father, hesitated to meet that formidable lady. On the whole, then, she decided, it was better to wait until George came as usual on the ensuing evening. Being alone, it was difficult to find entertainment. Lesbia played the piano for a few minutes, then she read, and afterwards enjoyed a game of two of patience. Finally, feeling bored in the lonely house, she retired to bed about ten o'clock. There she speedily fell asleep, and dreamed that all obstacles were removed, and she was George Walker's wife. When she put out her light, neither Miss Hale nor Tim had returned. Lesbia's sleep lasted for some considerable time. Then she suddenly sat up with her senses keenly alive to every situation. It seemed to her that George had called her, and that she had awakened in answer to his cry. And it was a cry for help, too. With a sensation of alarm, she sprang from her bed, and opened the lattice to, lattice to look down in the garden and across the river. Then it flowed silvery in the calm and moonlight, but she heard no cry and saw nothing. Yet the call for help had been very distinct. Lesbia was not superstitious, and had it been broad daylight she would have laughed at such midnight fantasies. But in this mysterious moonlight, alone in the house so far as she knew, at the hour of twelve o'clock her heart beat rapidly, and a cold perspiration broke out on her forehead. George was in danger, she was sure of that. And George had called to her in a dream. What was she to do, In which direction was she to look? The first idea that came into her head was to see Tim and explain. He would not laugh at her fancies, as he had many of his own. Lesbia threw on her dressing gown, slipped her feet into shoes, and went down the narrow staircase, taking a lighted candle with her. In the hall all was quiet, and she paused here for a single moment, wondering if it was worthwhile to awaken Tim with such a fantastical story of midnight terrors. Just as she was deciding that it would be wiser to return to bed, she heard a groan, and in her fright nearly dropped the candle. But being a brave girl, she picked up courage and listened. 
There came a second groan from the parlor. Lesbia immediately opened the door and entered. There on the floor she saw a man bound and gagged and stiff, with nothing alive about him but his eyes. And those were the eyes of George Walker. End of chapter 2